Welcome to the Chronify Podcast. This is Ben Miller. Today's episode is a bit different from our usual fare. In this episode, titled The Chronify Story, I'm releasing an interview I did on the Bits of Gold podcast. More than anyone with whom I've spoken in a recorded medium, Danny Goldberg did an excellent job of drawing out the essence of what Chronify is all about. For those of you who are new here, this is a great opportunity to get caught up on what this company is up to in the world. If you've been listening for a while, this episode can serve as a summary of the key principles behind what's being built here. Either way, you're in the right place. So without further ado, here's the episode. Ben, welcome to the Bits of Gold podcast. Thanks a lot for having me, Danny. It's uh, it's a pleasure and I, I love the mission that you're on here. And so I'm, I'm really happy to be able to be involved. Yeah, appreciate that. I'm super excited to share your story today. Always love and appreciate and truly like just get excited whenever I'm connecting with someone who took the leap, who left something that seems or, or at least appears to be extremely secure to chase after their own dreams, their own aspirations, and their own mission. So really excited to share your story and dive in today. Awesome. Thank you. Maybe just kick this one off. You could tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do. Sure. So uh, I'm Ben Miller. I uh, came out of college uh, straight into a job on Wall Street. So I was at, at Goldman for eight years trading foreign exchange derivatives. And so if you've seen my profile picture, that's where all my hair went. You know, typical <laughs> typical trading floor job. Uh, it, was, it was an amazing place to begin work. You know, it's surrounded by brilliant people, uh, really a kind of pinch me situation in a lot of ways. But ultimately, decided that uh, it wasn't the route to my individual fulfillment of my own purpose. And so I decided to pull the plug and, and start a startup. And so the current company that I'm building is called Chronify. And what we do is we help people simplify their finances by understanding them in terms of what's ultimately most precious in life, which is time. Mm, love it. Why did that become something of like great importance, significant importance for you to pursue building a company around that? Was there a moment? Was there something that happened in your own life? Yeah, I, I always had an entrepreneurial itch. You know, I grew up, my dad was and is an entrepreneur. And so that was, um, that was something that I always found intriguing. But I just was in a spot where I, I didn't feel like I had my, my idea yet, didn't have something that I was willing to go all in on. And so I, I read a book that was really impactful, which was titled Your Money or Your Life. So I remember reading that a few years into my career, and it, and it really changed the paradigm for me to thinking about money, not in terms of like this scoreboard, like how much money do I need to make sort of thing, but thinking of it more as really just bottled up time. What can it endow? What can it provide for me to be able to have time with the people that I love, time with the experiences that are most meaningful to me? And so anyways, the, I'd say that was a big catalyst was reading that book. Uh, and then from there, beginning to discover like, hey, there's not, really, there's not really a program out there that helps people out with this. How can I go about building a program first to solve my own problem and then ultimately to bring it to a wider audience? So you literally read this book and that changed like the course of your life. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing book and written all the way back in the 1900s. Like basically, it's, it's one of the original mainstays of sort of personal finance writing, where you really take a thinking outside the box sort of mentality. And so reading that book just started the pot stirring and, and started getting me to think about things in a new way. Um, and then I proceeded, you know, to develop further and further interest in personal finance and things kind of spiraled from there. What was the main thing in the book that made you say, hey, 
I need to live differently or I want to live differently and to start actually pursue that. That's pretty powerful that, you know, you read this one book and it changes the way you look at, at money entirely. Yeah, it was, um, I'd say the biggest key moving piece there was just the reformulation that is from money, which is abstract and it's hard to understand into time, which is ultimately that much more intuitive. And it's, it's something that, uh, something that people can actually grasp, you know, while you might say, Hey, you know, this, this coffee habit is going to cost you $150,000 over the course of your life. That doesn't mean anything to anybody. You know, it's, it's just this wildly large sum of money that probably almost nobody's seen physically in front of them at any point in their life. And yet, if you say like, hey, this coffee habit, for example, is going to delay your retirement by nine months, that hits people right in the gut because they can imagine what it would be like to walk into their cube for another nine months at the end of their career to support this habit. Now, that doesn't make spending money evil always and everywhere. Some things are just plain worth it. But knowing what the trade-off actually looks like in terms that you can understand, that was the biggest kind of upshot from the book is seeing like, listen, all that money is, is just a route to time, is a route to being able to endow more experiences with the people that I love. That makes a lot of sense. When you were at Goldman, you started working at Goldman right after graduation and stayed there for almost a decade, maybe a little bit less than that. Yeah, eight years. Once you started to have this, these realizations and this understanding around money and thinking about it differently, how soon did you start to feel, hey, I, I want to take the jump. I want to leave and pursue my own business. And I guess how soon did you realize you wanted it to be around personal finance software, a personal finance tool that could help others? It was really tricky because the further you get into a career, the harder it is to switch tracks. I say that feeling a little bit of uh, a little bit of self-consciousness in the sense that, you know, I think of like my grandfather was at General Mills for 40 years. And so who am I to say that I'm getting long in the tooth with only eight years at, at one company? But relative to our day and age and relative to, you know, the cohort of people who joined the firm when I did, you start to look around and go like, man, where's where's everybody winding up? The original class that I came in with um, has you know gone on to other things. And so anyways, it's... Um, realizing that that dynamic was occurring around me and, and realizing like, okay, it's getting more and more difficult to think about, you know, being that sort of stem cell, as it were, that you are when you come out of school, you know, you're right eyed and bushy tailed and ready to hit the world and, and go out and do something. Suddenly, you know, a few years into your career, you can start to feel sort of trapped, not necessarily trapped, but like the path has been set out for you. And that it'll take a serious, you know, jar to the side of the pinball machine to uh, to move things onto a different track. For me, wanting to go out and start a now a tech company, it was difficult because it's just like, okay, well, if I leave this job, I'm going to go from a place where I'm doing pretty well at what I know to a place where I'm competing against a bunch of young and hungry, you know, Stanford grads with CS degrees. Like, how's that going to go? And so there's a lot of insecurity that plays into it. And ultimately, you know, you just realize that like, hey, if it's not me, then who? And if it's not now, then when? And that ultimately just kind of nudges you out the door. But I had to dot a lot of I's and cross a lot of T's to convince myself that it was even permissible to think about moving on. So I want to dive into that piece in a second, because it sounds like you did a lot to kind of give yourself reassurance that maybe try to stack the cards in your favor as much as possible to ensure that you'd have the greatest likelihood of 
achieving some level of success once you start pursuing your own business. But I guess before that, take us back to maybe what it was like for you while you were at Goldman, wrestling with the idea of leaving and actually taking that jump. I know that you brought up, you know, it gets harder as you get deeper into your career. I would say also with age, it just gets more challenging because for most people, as much as you want to control it and can control it to a degree, your lifestyle does inevitably get more expensive as you get married, start a family, move into a bigger apartment. And I've definitely fallen guilty of this a little bit. Like when I was in my early 20s, I was able to keep my lifestyle so extremely low where I was able to take the leap or take the jump or take any amount of risk almost because the odds of things going badly and me being in like this position where I needed to pay that bill it was so easy. Like I was, I would always live in the smallest room, the smallest apartment. I really kept my lifestyle low, but now almost 30 years old, married, going to start a family soon. It's inevitable that there is that lifestyle creep. And I imagine that that's extremely challenging, especially once you've already dedicated eight years of your life to climbing the, the ladder of, in ways at, at this company where you have this amazing trajectory ahead if you just stay the course. So I'm very curious what that experience was like for you. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because there's a lot of misalignment that can creep in between the way that you're choosing to spend your resources and the way that your people you're surrounded by are spending their resources. Because if you're just locked in like, hey, I'm going to do this you know, until they fire me 25 years from now type of thing or until I retire or, or however that winds up looking in its end state, there is a very, you know, there's this siren song of lifestyle inflation that's just like, well, we can afford it. So why wouldn't we? I knew that it was always temporary. I knew that this was not a sustainable solution for me. And so because it was always viewed as temporary, I knew the gravy train wasn't going to run forever. In fact, I even, you know, planted some seeds. I remember, you know, asking a good friend from college to grab me by the collar if I was still doing what I was doing at 32 and make me justify myself because I could see that it's, you know, this slippery slope of every year you get paid more and every year, you know, you get more kind of unvested compensation and, and all this type of thing, you know, this boohoo kind of golden handcuffs type of thing. But you can see like these, these organizations are very good at, you know, structuring incentives in a way that makes it appealing for people with a, a lot of intellectual capacity to stick around. And so I was conscious of the fact that there were these dynamics going on around me. And so knowing that, I probably went a little bit too far the other direction. Honestly, if the typical person in those situations spends more than they should, I probably honestly spent too little. And that was because I had this mentality of like, I'm not going to be able to do this forever. So I'll sprint to the finish line. It was kind of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to achieve financial independence ASAP. And then someday later on, I'll be happy. And I realized that that was exactly backwards. I realized that what I should be solving for was happiness right now, so long as I achieved financial independence eventually. And so once I balanced out that mindset and wasn't so completely draconian about my, uh, about my decisions with respect to spending, it was that much easier to, to realize like, listen, I don't need to get this giant pile of money and then live off the interest. I like work. I like work on something that's fulfilling to me. And so whatever's going to come as a byproduct of doing that, which is what I'm doing now, is what I should be solving, not never working again. That's not a happy version of me. You really started to think through it more as, a, as opposed to 
how do I amass a large fortune or enough money so I could live off like the interest and investments? <laughs> how do I figure out more of what I want to do and get paid to do those things and then live off that money essentially? Totally. Yeah. And there was a big, a big element of it that was the fact that I didn't have experience along the lines of having work that was truly aligned with what I felt was my purpose. And so ultimately, given the interests of your audience with respect to living in a more purposeful way, that was something I was kind of blind to. I, I had just come to assume over the course of years and years at an amazing job that just wasn't aligned with me personally, that work was just something you did to sell your time to get money. And then with that money, you could do things that you actually liked. And it wasn't until I started peeling back the layers of this onion, trying different ways of working and different projects on which I could work that I realized, wow, work isn't just this like necessary evil. Work is something that is positively life-giving if you're doing it in the right ways and towards the right causes. And so that was an eye-opener because honestly, I thought maybe that was just some millennial pipe dream. I thought maybe maybe that was just um, you know too good to be true. And when I saw it, then I, I grabbed onto it. Yeah, I think, you know, you bring up a lot of awesome points. And I'd say definitely over the last decade, I feel the conversation around doing meaningful work and work that matters and means something to you and having some form of alignment in doing purposeful work has become a greater piece of the the conversation. Whereas my parents' generation and our grandparents' generation, it was more just like, you know, you, you traded your time for money. And I think back to the times were so different then, right? Like, I think fortunately now, I think a lot of people, like I think back to my grandparents and like they were just trying to make ends meet. And obviously there, there's still a lot of people who are in that situation today. But I think a lot of people also have with like the explosion of the internet and just the times we're living in, I think a lot of people have a luxury that didn't exist where you could start making money off your phone or trading, doing things on a consultative way that just wasn't around 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Totally. It's a completely changed landscape is what we're confronting now. And it's one where, uh, in a lot of cases, some parts of the way we've structured our society have yet to catch up with the other. You know, the other side of that coin, for example, is that in our grandparents' generation, there was an understanding you know, why people were so loyal to their companies was they had these defined benefit pension schemes and things like that. And there was much more of an atmosphere of like, okay, we're going to take care of the whole person because we want this person charging for us for decades. Whereas now the ethos is much more kind of like if you haven't moved in the last 24 months, might be a good idea to jump so that you can, you know, up your pay or get a new stamp on your resume or that sort of situation, which makes sense if when, again, the retirement plans that are available to people have gone away from that defined benefit and have gone more to like, hey, you should sort this out on your own. It's a completely different game. It's a completely different solution to solve for now that we have these different ways of working. Let's talk a little bit about how you stack the deck in your favor to give you the confidence to to take the leap, to take the jump, to start Chronify. I'm curious if you could share a little bit about what that was like for you. Yeah, so stacking the deck is a, is a great way to put it because life is is murky. You know, there are so many decisions to be made and so much going on, you know, so many different stimuli that are hitting us at every moment of every day, it's tough to take a step back and actually evaluate things. And moreover, once you do, oftentimes it's like, okay, well, there are four great points pointing this way. And then there are three great points pointing the other way. So I don't know, I'm sort of on the fence, you know, how am I going to weight these different factors? And so I was at a rare 
clear moment in my life where kind of everything was pointing in the same direction. I was starting to get kind of tired of the work that I was doing, not because it was bad work. It was just, again, it was, I was itching for something else. And then meanwhile, I had just, you know, started a family. And so I had a daughter who was then two years old, who was telling me that her favorite thing to do was to walk on grass. And so as somebody who grew up in Minneapolis, you know, where there's a lot more, a lot more space and greenery and things like that, I was thinking like, man, we got to get this girl some grass to walk on. And so living in, in New York or its orbit was another factor that I felt like was pushing us towards some more wide open spaces. And then just on top of that, I, you know, I had an itch that there's this product that I was dying to bring into the world because I wanted to see what it could do for people. When you combine those factors, it just became this sort of, in retrospect, obvious decision, but I'm glossing over the part where there was so much hemming and hawing, so much trying to gain clarity. And I found that ultimately what did it for me, what gave me that clarity to want to do this crazy thing and make this jump in the first place was a change in perspective. And so when I was looking at things, I was feeling absurdly like I was in a position of scarcity uh, rather than abundance. And having that situation is one where most people look and go, dude, what are you thinking? You know, why are you feeling that there's scarcity here? But that's the perception. It's, it's in many cases, it's fear that keeps people from moving on to their next act because, you know, it's kind of like a devil, you know, sort of thing. And so when I realized, when I changed my perspective and I was in the fortunate position that having not been subject to lifestyle creep and also having chosen an amazing wife who's, you know, our idea of a great Saturday night is like sitting down over a board game table and, and seeing who's smarter <laughs> type of thing. It's like, our lifestyle wasn't that expensive. And so we were able to keep our costs under control and get to a point where it's like the combination between our savings and our low cost of lifestyle meant that it was, you know, it was going to be years until we really needed to worry about money. And so when I saw that perspective, it was like, okay, it, it's time to take a risk. It's time to shake things up, give my daughters the, the upbringing that I want for them, and hopefully give them an example of a dad who loves what he does and isn't just selling his time for money. That's amazing to hear. Take us through the launch of Chronify and love if you could share a few highlights of from inception to where you are today and a little bit about where you're going. I'd say startups are not for the faint of heart. You know, that's an, oh, it's a full-time job. You know, as much as I'd like to say, oh yeah, I, I wish I'd done that straight out of college. It's just not the way that I'm wired to be able to do that. A, when I haven't gotten experience in the real world, because ultimately I built this company to solve my own problem. And I wasn't aware of that problem until I had experienced the real world. And so starting the company, it's an emotional workout. You know, it'll be three weeks of like, oh man, what am I doing? You know, this doesn't make any sense. I got to get a real job followed by like the best 48 hours in company history. And so when you zoom out and look at like the past six, six months, for example, then it's like, oh wow, things are really going pretty well. But the lived experience of it is harrowing. You know, it's, it's all consuming. It's, it's something where... I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't necessarily advise entrepreneurship to someone who wasn't irrationally passionate about the achievement of the mission. And so the deep, you know, like the wellspring that I draw upon is, is this desire to see human capital reallocated to its highest and best use. You know, that's why I was so excited when I, when you popped onto my radar was because our missions are shared in that perspective. We want to see people pursuing purpose. You know, in my parlance, it's kind of like seeking meaning over money. 
that sort of phenomenon uh, is something that I just wanted to see more of. And, and ultimately, I settled on this company as my best tool with which to do that. How to come about like actually launching the business and making a business out of this? Yeah. So I, um, when you begin a business plan, you have all of these pie in the sky ideas of here are some features that I want to embed within the product. Here are some of the ways that I want to make money off of it. Here are all these, all these different things. And, and so, you know, you kind of have to flesh out the entire space, but then you settle in on this kernel of like, okay, what do I want to give people? Ultimately, what I want to give people is the confidence about where they are to be able to even properly start thinking about getting to where they want to be. Because that was the problem that resonated with me. I was insecure, didn't know if I was just forsaking my family's financial future so that daddy could have a job that put a smile on his face. You know, like weighing these trade-offs is, is not an easy thing. And, and personal finance, you know, you've got people with PhDs in other topics who just don't have a clue about personal finance because how could they? We don't educate around it. And so the problem deeply resonated with me and that covers for a lot of other things because the, you know, the list of tasks that are required to embark on a business venture and the number of plates I have to keep spinning at any one time to keep this thing afloat is a laundry list. However, to get back to your original question of, you know, how I made an actual business out of it, uh, I determined that, you know, ultimately a subscription was the right way to go because I think people are are waking up to the fact that if they are not paying, then they are the product, especially when it comes to your finances. Like you don't want to dump in a bunch of data just so that people can market other products to you that may or may not be in your best interests. And so I think what we're ultimately doing is we're trying to help people know that like, listen, there is no incentive, but to give you the best possible product. And once I saw that people would actually pay for that, it was this, you know, self-perpetuating cycle that has gotten us to where we are today. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What would you say just in terms of like the tools that your platform offers? Is it mainly that it just gives the individual the best understanding of, of how their money can work for them? Like, I'd love if you could share a little bit more about the actual platform. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we'll put it this way. Personal finance, people think personal finance and they think it's crowded. You know, they think like, oh, there's tons of budgeting apps out there. They handle the past, you know, like, what did I spend my money on last month? There's tons of investing apps out there that are like, if you're fortunate enough to have some money stocked away, then it's like, okay, I've got money. What should I do with it? Where there isn't a lot of action and where we've tried to plunge in, uh, that is Chronify, is in the present tense, is in helping people understand how does what I'm doing right now impact my overall financial health. And so what it does is, you know, you dump in your first wave of numbers and you're able to see like, oh, great. Okay. I've got six years in the bank. You know, I can afford to coast for six years right now. That's my idea of my financial health or my wiggle room. You can see like, oh, it'll be 13 years given my present income until I'm able to retire, or it'll be four and a half years until I can switch from being this like high dollar corporate lawyer to doing the pro bono work that I always said I wanted to do. Uh, so basically we give people that perspective to pursue whatever goal is most resonant with them. And then, so you get that mark to market, here's where you are, but then you're able to dive in and dynamically track over time. Like, hey, over the last month, I got six months closer to retirement. What's that coming from? You know, was it the market? Was it my spending habits? What, like what's actually going on under the hood? Or you can evaluate those behaviors and say like, hey, here's where this, you know, gym membership or this coffee habit or whatever it may be is fitting into the context of my individual life. So you can make those decisions that are like, okay, that's not worth it. I'm going to ax that expense. Or you can say like, listen, I'd be a wreck if I didn't go to the gym 
what is money for if it's not for keeping me healthy and bringing my best self to my relationships, et cetera. The gym does that for me. Worth it. Keep it in. It's a way to make sure that you're on track to achieving the life that you actually want to have. That makes a lot of sense. So essentially, you empower people by giving them the data and the tools to help them understand what their money actually means and how they can make better choices to live a more fulfilling life and really optimize how they want to spend their time. Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, the modern person is in many cases is fortunate enough to be more time starved than money starved. And so you're in a spot where it's like, you know what you want. You just don't know where you are. And so the first step of figuring out how to get to where you want to be is figuring out where you are. And then, you know, you just make that next right step. Do you think most people have a similar viewpoint as it relates to like money? Or do you think that that's something that comes with time or experience? Or you think it's just a mixed bag and some people want to accumulate as much money as possible and <laughs> that's their motivation and others are more motivated by optimizing for their time. I'm, I'm curious what your take is around that. I think there are definitely different perspectives. You know, it's funny because for some people, when I say, well, you shouldn't be thinking about your money in terms of money, you should be thinking about it in terms of time. Some people are like, dude, what are you smoking? Cause I want some. <laughs> and then <laughs> other people are like, Oh yeah, that's the way I've always been thinking about it. So different people are certainly wired in different ways. And so I've only ever been me. So what do I know about the way that other people think? However, I've been me for long enough to see that temporally, my views on money have shifted dramatically over time. I've gone from somebody who was scrimping and saving and really trying to get to the finish line as quickly as possible to somebody who's now embraced a lifestyle that is much more even keeled and does a better job of acknowledging my own humanity in the sense that, listen, we'd like to think we're robots and that if we have the right programming, the right code, then we'll just like, okay, we'll just process it and then we'll get to where we want to be. But we have to pay attention to our humanity, which is like, we need to stay motivated. We need to stay fulfilled along the way. And that's a big part about why plans that look great on paper don't necessarily wind up working out in the long term. Because if you're, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, for example, and you just say, okay, yeah, that's fine. I'll just have, you know, 1200 calories of soy lent for, you know, for the indefinite future <laughs> until I've hit my goal weight, people are going to do like, okay, yeah, a great plan. I'll get there in a couple months. It's going to be awesome. And then week two, they're like, this sucks. I'm out. And then they have a piece of chocolate cake, <laughs> you know? So you have to, you have to structure things in a way that's sustainable. And that you can actually, you know, pull the first fruits of retirement forward and enjoy your life along the way so that you can keep the engine humming. Yeah, I completely agree. Money is such a weird thing because, you know, it drives people to do crazy things. Mm -hmm. It drives people to make irrational decisions at times. I'd say it's such a mixed bag in terms of, I guess, how people come to have a relationship with money. It's like, it's part experience. It's part community, people that are surrounding them, parents, family. The influences, society, social media, it's very interesting you know, to really think about how you want to live, the lifestyle you want to live, and how money plays into all that. Absolutely. And I mean, there's a big element of transparency that comes around that as well, because the way that most people think about their finances, they treat it kind of like their sex life, where it's just like, okay, yeah, I, I know all this stuff, but I'm not going to share it willy-nilly. And mm. you, know, you certainly don't want to be posting your social security number on the internet or things like that. But the idea that, you know, who does this hurt? When we keep these types of thoughts, these types of concepts to ourselves, it's ultimately the people who need the wisdom the most that wind up being deprived of it. Because if you're limited to only your immediate circle of like people that you really, really trust enough to like share what's going on in a big part of your life, which is finance, 
If you're only going to share them with a small subset of people, then you're only going to get a small subset of advice of, you know, like guidance, wisdom, et cetera. And so like, I think, I think there's a wave with the younger generations of which, you know, you and I are a part that is beginning to embrace a little bit more transparency around that. And I think that's a really good and healthy thing because it helps people to tap into the wisdom of other people who have thought about it. Absolutely. I'm always intrigued when I see people who are living and making the choices they're making on a daily basis. I'm always intrigued how intentional they were around getting to that point. And I guess, you know, I'm always intrigued if they're consciously aware and very intentionally making the choices and if they understand like why they're doing that or if they're just sort of doing it because that's what they've always done and it's all they know. The best example that I that I can think of that comes to mind immediately are like friends that are corporate lawyers mm. and they're on this path where they're able to make boatloads of money. Mm -hmm. But in my experience, what I've seen at least is a lot of those people are losing as it relates to a lot of life experiences that they just can't be present for because their job is so demanding. I think back to a couple of weeks ago, my sister had a, a birthday party for her one-year-old and someone came over. He's a corporate lawyer. His wife's outside socializing and he's upstairs at the birthday party, plugging away at work on a Saturday. And you know what came to my mind instantly was, does that person want to be there? Is it driven just, hey, I'm on this path, I'm going to make so much money and I'm enjoying that and that's what I'm optimizing for? Or is it just that this is all I know, this is all I've done and I've never even actually thought about, is this actually how I want to be spending my time and is the trade-off worth it in terms of the money I'm making and the opportunities that I'm missing? Totally. I mean, and, and that it brings to mind this, this notion that there's a ditch on both sides of the road, right? Like you can just completely neglect and ignore your finances and then you wind up potentially, you know, reaping the consequences down the line, or you can over-optimize and really dive in. You're that dude who's like three hours every Saturday, you know, deep in his spreadsheets type of thing. And both of those are kind of rotten solutions because ultimately the whole goal of finance ought to be getting it out of the way so that you can get back to living your actual life. And so if you're that corporate lawyer who's upstairs tapping away on his computer on a Saturday, thankfully, I always had Saturdays because I was working market hours. So I always had Saturdays to look forward to in terms of an <laughs> oasis with my old job. But like the idea here is something that hit me. I, I read uh, a great book by Eckhart Tolle a while ago called The Power of Now. And I saw echoes of that same sort of thought in one that I finished more recently called 4,000 Weeks, which was phenomenal. That's uh, Oliver Berkman on that one. But like basically the idea, the upshot that I draw out of those is like, listen, there's a now that is all we ever have. All future moments, all past moments, they're inaccessible. And so it's incumbent upon us to opt in to now because it's the only thing we actually have to lose. And so people can go way too far with planning just storing up treasures for a tomorrow that may never come. And so this idea of trying to be a res responsible steward of your financial resources can sometimes come into conflict with being an, a responsible steward of your life. And so being able to really embrace that and not only enjoy it for its own sake, but also enjoy it because you're creating a habit of then like, hey, if I opted into now, now, then I'll be that much more likely to opt in to the present moment in the future. You're creating a habit, a, a reason for thinking that there's a future worth saving for. So there's a, mm. there's a feedback loop in there that's it's very important to be present and to enjoy, enjoy the here and now because tomorrow's not promised.
Yeah, 100%. How do you think people can become more intentional around thinking through how they want to optimize for their money or financially? How do people get crystal clear around what their goals are so they can actually start to think about like, hey, how much money do I need to make? How much money do I want to make? Where's the sweet spot? How do I want to live? What do I want my lifestyle to look like? How do people get crystal clear around that? Well, let me give you the answer. It's only three words long. No, <laughs> that's a big question. But yeah, I mean, how do you how do you develop certainty around one of the most complex topics that, by the way, nobody's educated about? So the first step, right? You want to figure out what do I actually want to be doing with my time? What is the, you know, like, where am I in flow? Where am I in my bliss? Where am I actually enjoying myself? For me, it was like, hmm, I'm waking up at 4 a.m. so that I can code before I go to the gym, before I go to the office. A lot of people get paid to code. I'm not getting paid anything to code. I think I should probably pay attention to that. And so finding something that's actually aligned with who you are, that's step one. So then you figure out where you want to be. And then step two is figuring out where you actually are. And only there, you know, like, an, well, shameless plug, that's something that Quantify is very useful for, <laughs> but like figuring out the actual nature of your current status, basically. Most of it can be done on the back of a napkin if you're, if you're so inclined. But like the idea is you figure out where you want to be, you figure out where you are, and from there, you can plot a path to that place that bears in mind all of these random other things that can crop up. You know, like once you start having kids, a mortgage, et cetera, other obligations, the landscape is always shifting. So what you plan today you're not even going to be the same dude in five years that as you are today. Like I certainly am not the same as I was five years ago. And I hope that I've learned something five years from now. And so it, it's like you're solving for something that's like, okay, what's my best prediction of what future Ben is going to want? Mm. Knowing full well that he might go like, yeah, I, I know you tried your best, buddy, but this is actually what I want now. So you you do the best you can with what's at your at your fingertips while enjoying the ride. And that's kind of the whole point. That's great advice. Obviously, you know, you've thought about money extensively, you know, in many ways, I'm sure you think about it on a day-to-day basis and trying to further build the best platform to help your customers. What wildly held belief around money would you reject? I hesitate to call this, or I, I hope it's not a widely held belief, but if you believe, you know, the preponderance of personal finance uh, content creators, there's this impression that uh, getting rich in any sense of the word, is something that can happen in relatively short order. That's not the way the real world works. Like the real result at the end of your financial life or whatever it may be, is this accumulation of small decisions that are made every day. It's unsexy. It's to some people boring, dry, et cetera. But when you get those little things right, then it turns out the result kind of snowballs on itself and, and leaves you in a, in a spot that gives you many more options. That being said, I have to, I have to jump in and, and temper what I just said because there's a, there's a big extent to which, um, well, something that I got wrong originally. And so everybody, uh, everybody in personal finance, including my past self, <laughs> uh, didn't, <laughs> couldn't see past this one. But it's this idea, this idea that choice is always a good thing. And I'm going to sound strange saying that, but there's an awesome, awesome book by Barry Schwartz called The Paradox of Choice. And that dives into the fact that it's not always a great thing to have a hundred different salad dressings that you can choose from. Sometimes it's better to like go to Costco and just have like, hey, this is the one you want. Trust us. We tried them all and like have that curation. And so I'm a former options trader. So this was very difficult for me to overcome. 
because time value of an option to get nerdy for a second is something you never want to forsake. You never want to early exercise if you don't absolutely have to, because who knows what the market's going to do tomorrow. Now, the way that real life works is we're not these like supercomputers that can just constantly and efficiently process a million alternatives. Sometimes committing to something and forsaking other options, you know, doing this crazy thing called marriage, for example, is one of the best decisions I've ever made, where it seems like, okay, you're, you're cutting off all these other options. But what that enables you to do, shaving off or, you know, forsaking other options enables you to really commit and dive in in depth to something that is actually you're putting it at the you know top of your priority list. And so that level of understanding, embracing again, my own humanity, and seeing that an extra option is not always a is not always a good thing because it's it's distracting. We've only got so much time, so much attention to dole out, and so to the extent that we can ring fence that for the things that really matter most, sometimes that's what's most important. Mm, that's really interesting to hear. On a similar theme, you know, as someone who has extensively thought about how to use the money that you've made that you're making, what would you say is the single best investment that you've made? It doesn't have to be a physical investment. It could be a, a thing that optimized to give you more time to... It could be really anything. Yeah. The single best investment that I've made. I'm going to take some uh, poetic license with that because I, I think the world of investments is, uh, is broader than people think. So what do I mean by that? I think the best investment that I have made and the best investment that I continue to make on a practically daily basis is time with my kids. And so when you think investment, oftentimes you think in terms of like, okay, I pay a little money now or a little something now to get something later, uh, hopefully in a bigger quantity. Thing that I think people fail to realize is that all of the things or, or many of the things in their lives are subject to the same dynamics. And so when I think about you know moving to Colorado, we restructured our lives in a way where I wasn't you know beholden to a boss who could tell me like, listen, you got to not only come in from these hours, but also we'd like you to be at this work dinner, we'd like you to be at this function, and all that kind of stuff. I went to the other end of the spectrum, which is basically like I show up when I want to, which happens to be pretty similar to market hours. But you know, if somebody needs something, if if one of the kids needs something or has an event or that type of thing in the middle of the day, it's like okay, this is what life is all about. And so moving to Colorado, we restructured our lives in a way that I was able to spend and am able to spend several hours a day with my kids pretty much every day. And I've already seen with my youngest, who's now two, that that time served, as it were, has just resulted in this magical relationship, which is different in quality and, and almost different in character from, from the ones that I had with either of her older sisters at that similar age just because time spent with this growing human it winds up being a really really important thing and so i'm tremendously grateful that i've invested that time in that relationship and i'm committed to continuing to invest in it because kids are a pretty magical part of life and I, and i'm not only enjoying the now or i'm trying to enjoy the now parenting is not all sunshine and puppy dogs but trying to enjoy the now while also acknowledging that all I can do for my kids is to give them an amazing relationship with their parents so that they know that they can continue to call on that for the rest of their lives. That's very powerful. I think, you know, it goes back to, I just want to highlight, obviously, the intentionality, right, behind being very clear on what you want, the lifestyle you want, your goals, and what you want to optimize for. 
I think back to a lot of my childhood. My dad traveled a ton for work. He was probably gone for three months out of the year, maybe even a little more. And I think back to that. And as I think about the family that I want to eventually start, like that's not the life that I ultimately want. Again, just being very crystal clear and setting your intentions around what your goals are and then trying to map your life in such a way can be extremely empowering to ultimately live the life you want to live. Totally. It's incredibly important to have those priorities, but then, you know, step two is acting on them. Yeah, 100%. You know, we covered a lot of bits of gold around living on purpose, around putting your finances first in regards to what your goals are and actually optimizing for those things. Are there any bits of gold that we have not covered that you'd want our listeners to hear? I think we've done a good job of of speaking about, you know, the way that you spend your time, thinking about the way that you think about your money. One thing that I I just can't get away from because it's ultimately kind of the the whole meaning as it were of of all the above is just human connection. All of this stuff is moot if we don't invest in actual relationships with the people who surround us in our lives. And it's not just a, I'm going to do this now so I can get this then type of phenomenon. This is what life is made of, you know, to wax philosophical for a moment. Like the whole point of any of these planning processes of, of any of this stuff that we do with the time that makes up our days is to ultimately give us what people actually value when they look back at their lives. And that is meaningful connections with the people that they love. And that circle can be as tight or as broad as people want to define it for themselves. But I have realized, for example, over the last year, I spent a lot of, well, my first eight years out of school, I spent head down, shoulder to the plow, really focused on work, trying to do the best that I could and, and basically clear out all the rest of life so that I could just really focus on that. Now, I was lucky because I met my spouse uh, when we were still in college. Dating was a part that I could take out of the equation of life, but I spent, I spent a, you know, almost a decade really just focused on career. And what I was missing, what I was intentionally missing, it turns out, was this, these chance collisions, these happy coincidences that enable you to develop connections with people who are going to be a big part of your life moving forward. And it's been ridiculously exciting to me that over the past year to year to year and a half as I've you know had this company in the market as I've really been intentional about reaching out I've met some of the best friends that I've ever made in my life and so developing that human connection and really leaning into that like what's behind door number 3 getting excited about an unknown that could happen in the future is something that I wasn't experiencing for a very long time and I've realized only by now in contrast how important it is to allocate a certain portion of your life to just trying new things, trying new, you know, whether it's a friendship or a new hobby or whatever it may be, don't crush that out. You want to make sure that you leave enough slack within your life to embrace the opportunities that are always right around the corner. Love that so much. That's certainly a great bit of gold. <laughs> ben, where can people connect with you, find you, follow you? And try out your your platform if they want to give it a give it a swing. Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, you can try out the platform at www.chronify.com. And essentially, you know, I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I'm occasionally on Twitter. <laughs> like basically, we have a, a blog and a podcast. And so, if, if you want more Ben, like that's a great place to to dive in. 
I would love to even personally help any of your listeners again. As I said at the top of the show, I love what you're up to with respect to just helping people to dive into more purposeful existence. And so that's that's the whole reason why I started this company in the first place. And so I love diving into the weeds with people, helping them think through situations. It's legitimately fun for me. So anybody who wants help, feel free to reach out. I'm always available. Awesome. Well, Ben, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks a lot for having me. It was a pleasure. All the links for this episode can be found in the show notes. There were so many bits of gold in this episode. On a 30,000-foot view, the pursuit of personal fulfillment over money is truly empowering. And we can all learn a thing or two from Ben's journey from breaking free from a high-paying job that was ultimately making him unhappy and choosing to build a life of fulfillment and enjoyment and purpose. If you were inspired by the story, I want to hear from you. What was your favorite bit of gold from this episode? Shoot me a message on Instagram at DanLevGoldberg. Finally, if you could please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, that would be greatly appreciated as it really helps with growing the show. That's all for today. Thanks for living with purpose today and every day, and I'll see you next time. Thanks a lot for listening. If you're interested in putting meaning above money and making progress towards what's next in life while also enjoying the here and now, check out chronify.com. We'd love to help you out.